How's it going? Uh, not bad, other than the stuffiness, pretty good. Nice. Last all right. Nice outside. <laughs> yeah, right on. So it's time, huh? Yeah, for you guys. Sipping a little chill here, here. So I see it live. Yeah. All right, let's get into it. So, it's a bit more of a theory episode. Talk about a bit about the uh, difference between politics and policy. If it is there one, uh, well, yes and no. They're they're very intertwined, and they're they they both can be. Well, policy is is more of a firm definition, but politics is, is a little bit ambiguous to define. Not really a black and white answer that you can define politics as. So a uh, policy would be the well, policy is essentially the the laws or the 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 guidelines that govern the society. Uh, politics, I think, is is, is larger than that and encompasses um, encompasses policy as well as other factors. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess. So policy is just more, it's like like a, a law or something would be part of policy. Yeah, like, like, uh, like when when they're introducing bills into the House Commons, that that's policy writers that that uh, that wrote those bills, and it, it's a policy that's being introduced. Okay, and um, from like, I guess from my own observation, from what I've heard or whatever, I see like I hear people say like, oh, like he's a good talker, he's a good politician, or like. He's a good negotiator. He's a good politician. Um, yeah. Does, uh, what what would make a good politician? I guess in your point of view, a good politician is somebody that represents uh, his constituents and and does the at least in a democracy, uh, a good politician is somebody that that does the job that he was elected to do in my book. Okay, fair enough. And does a good politician uh, make a good policymaker? They should. Um, they should, yes. Or, or they could be really good at delegating those tasks to, uh, to their underlings. Yeah. So yeah, because like you, you know, some some politicians, I guess that I, that I've known or come across, are really good at like going out into the community and talking to people and bringing that into the House of Commons, like or the what what they call in Ontario, Queen's Queen's Park. Yeah, the the House of Commons. Like like she'll be someone. I see him. I see him like come out. 
come up. He's a representative for Timmins Change Space. Let's see him come up and, you know, yell yell something at the other side or whatever. And he seems to always be at least listening to his constituents. But I don't know. I don't know how, how like, I don't know how you see, like, how much it affects anything or, like, if he actually has much of a hand in the writing policy, I'm guessing not since he's not part of the, the governing party. Well, like, um, the NDP especially is known for introducing policy, whether it gets rejected or not by the governing party. There's a lot of bills that are introduced by NDP and MPs. Um, I, like, in Bison's case, he probably has, like, a staff writer or something that would actually write the policy for him. Uh, like when you when you study at university, there's political science and then there's public policy that you can take, which is a different program. So it's really like I guess I guess it is a different thing. It is just really writing a policy because it, when you get into writing policy, you get into legalities and you get into like when you re- read a political like a, like a government policy. Um, it's practically a legal document, so not everybody that can be a politician is 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 cut out for that, right? Yeah, so it has to be like it has to um, get like. Uh, do we have a constitution? Yeah. Yeah, we have a constitution. like it, so you have to vet it and make sure that there's nothing against something in the constitution or in the Charter of Rights. Yeah. Or right. any other or any other might be a part of exactly. Yeah. So that's that's not necessarily something that like a member of parliament would do. It would be something that he would have staff that would take care of. Yeah, and then so like and there's like a whole brand I guess I heard of. the first time I heard about the name of it. Anyways, I've seen it before, but the first time I heard of the name of it was reading Common Ground by Justin Trudeau called Retail Politics, which is like I guess. Uh, uh, like an on-the-ground kind of game. I, I guess it's mostly for during campaigns, uh, but like uh, you know, a politician that's spent a lot of time at like community events. Um, like Rob Ford comes to mind when you hear like he he took calls and returned calls from like any call that he got from his constituents. Um, so it, it like no matter what like you know, so some people might have seen him as a good politician. But really, not like the policy and other parts of them, right? Yeah, that's fair. That's for sure fair. Um, he's good at dealing with the constituents, but he wasn't necessarily good at writing policy. So he probably had people that he hired to do that. Yeah, yeah makes sense. Uh, um, I'm trying to think of good. I, I can't really remember. Well, I can't remember because I wasn't born, but it would seem to me that, like, someone like Pierre Trudeau would have been a, a, a good policy, like, obviously, like, because he would have had other things as well, but would have been, like, a good policy maker, but he wasn't really known for being, like, warm to people, or, um, like, he wouldn't be that guy that called all his constituents back, or whatever, but he, he, he brought out, like, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which is a signature piece of policy that like I don't know what it's like 40 years later that is still like super relevant yeah and I mean he um, 
he was, as far as I know, well liked by people. But you might be right in that he didn't really uh, directly interact with his constituents and whatnot. Um, he, yeah, he was, he, and he was definitely, like you said, um, as they the found well, the the uh, originator of the the Charter of Rights and Freedom. Um, did obviously have some policy knowledge, uh, at least to a certain extent, to be able to direct uh, uh, to well, first of all, to to reach an agreement with most of the provinces, uh, and to to direct uh, policy writers accordingly uh, to to write the, the policy correspond corresponding to that charter. Yeah, so it kind of sounds from what you said there that um, the whole uh, part about uh, getting all the provinces on board or all minus one notable one, uh, that maybe there was some politicking involved there, I guess, and like maybe not with constituents but with other uh, levels of government and other government, uh, elected government officials. <laughs> so, okay. Um, did you have anything else to say on that subject? Uh, no, not really. Okay. Um, the term political capital is what made me think of this topic this week. And I'm not really sure why. So, like, I remember, like, when the electoral reform promised, like, when uh, when the, uh, the liberals announced that they weren't going to fall through on the electoral reform, promise it said that Trudeau might have lost some political capital or maybe he had enough political capital that you know it wasn't going to hurt him too much and I, I just kind of made me think so political this is again from Wikipedia political capital refers to the trust goodwill and influence a politician has with the public and other political figures so maybe Pierre Trudeau had some of that when he was negotiating uh, yeah, I would say so. The charter. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, do, do you think uh, do you think some politicians may, may, maybe through or maybe other, other politicians spend too much time worrying about political capital about uh, about it or is it important enough to like instead of actually drafting policy like Trudeau's dad, or maybe like Trudeau's dad, you, you would need both. Well, politicians in general. Um, well, I mean, okay. Here's the thing. I think you see it a lot more in in American politics, to be honest with you. And I know this we we concentrate on Canadian politics, but I think that historically in American politics, political capital is is, is enormously important um, in terms of having you know the the population backing you and and whatnot. Although arguably, arguably. Under the new administration, there's not much of a. They don't really care about political capital that much. 
Um, here in Canada, yeah, it's important. It's important to have good approval ratings. I mean, you're always, well, in most cases, you're looking to get reelected. So yeah, you you do have to make sure that uh, that you're liked. Uh, no, I don't think that necessarily too much time is spent um, worrying about political capital that should be spent on policy. So I don't think there is. Like there's obviously obviously like the prime minister and, and like high high level politicians have PR people, which I think is is acceptable. Um, but I don't think that they're spending 90 95 percent of their time worrying about you know what their approval ratings and whatnot. Maybe in an election year they yeah a bit more, but I don't think that it's it's an issue per se. Okay. Um, what do you so, think? Well, I, I was, actually, I was listening to another show this morning, the agenda they were talking about uh, Stephen Harper's legacy. And the yeah. way they kind of put it was that he was more, he, like, I, I, it might not have tuned to us because we're not really, like, conservative supporters, but it seemed like that he did kind of, uh, I guess, Oh, okay. pander to to the small C conservative base. But they, the way they put it was that he was uh he wasn't aiming to hit home runs, like home runs being like the charter of rights and freedoms or um I don't know, I guess even confederation in the first place or huge huge policy like he was he was he was batting singles is the way they put it, meaning that, that he he was he would <coughs> enact policy that would just give him enough uh, political capital to get elected the next time around. So I guess like a constant campaign. Uh, I, I I guess it, it kind of seemed like that in a way. Um, this government this government started with a lot of political capital, I think. It started with a lot of optimism. Um, so no, I don't think they're spending that much time trying to gain it right now. Uh, although I haven't really seen much, any, uh, much like news-breaking policy come out of it either. So it's only been a year, so maybe that's it. But yeah, I don't, I don't think see that. Okay. Uh, I like I don't know. I think I think that you're right. The current government government here in Canada does have a lot of uh, like has fairly high approval ratings. Um, even now, like I know they've taken a bit of a hit with the electoral reform thing, and there's 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 a, a little bit of a a little bit of a push from the right uh, following what happened in the States. But I think that overall um, uh, people are happy with this government. Um, and I think that relations with most provinces are a lot better too under this government. I'm not like don't like don't quote me because I'm not sure how how their relationships with the, the, the like the Atlantic provinces are um, and some of the western provinces, right, with Ontario, they have a fairly good relationship so far. 
And with Quebec, I don't think there's any major issues either um, that that separate the two. So I think that they're they're they're. They don't really have to worry about political capital right now, especially with, like you said, the fact that they're one year in and there's no election. There doesn't have to be an election for another three years. Um, I don't think that it's something that they need to worry about at this time. Yeah. So like, like you said, the hit on with electoral reform, I think that was that... I think that was kind of using their political capital um, in a way, like in a sense that, you know, people are generally like, like the election was a lot of like not, not Harper already. So like people are generally happy and then uh, generally happy with not having Harper and then like seeing other world leaders, I guess, kind of see ourselves as lucky. So I think that gamble will pay off and people don't, won't really like take that to heart in the next election. Like even though it's an it's an issue that I care about, I don't think that it's going to be a big election issue the next time around. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I can see it hurting them a bit. Just the, the not the fact that electoral reform didn't happen, the fact that they broke their promise. A lot of people are going to hold that against them, but. I don't think it's yeah. going to be. I don't think it's necessarily going to cost them the election, though. Yeah, as far as the relationships with the provinces, the only real well, the, like there's been a few big things, but one of the ones that involved all the provinces was renegotiating transfer payments for healthcare. Yeah. Uh, and I know that originally the provinces had. Either all or most of them had said no, we don't, we don't like the deal, um, and then we're gonna stand together and get a better deal. And I don't know what happened in back rooms, but like slowly, provinces just started making their own deals with the with the government. Now I think there's a few provinces that are left out. BC just signed theirs last week, I think. Um, so it seems like. They have a better, in that regard, they have a better relationship with the provinces than the provinces have with each other. Okay. And climate change, uh, too. Uh, yeah, climate change. So, like, the provinces kind of took the lead, four of them or whatever, kind of took the lead on that one during the Harper era. And then, yeah, now the federal government brought itself to the table on that. Um, well, yeah, I guess this they sat at the table with the with the uh, the, the provinces which the the Harper government had hadn't done in regards to climate change, right? Yeah. Oh, the boy, yeah, the, the if anything the Harper government was hindering it with like uh Muslim scientists and um not even attending like UN conventions or whatever. Um yeah, and then and I guess we'll see, like, the people is one thing, but then I guess we'll see here in, in BC and in Ontario how how the next governments, if the governments change, like, we both had liberal governments for the last little bit, um, and in Ontario, it was pretty obvious that Kathleen Wynne was a big 
Trudeau supporter already, so we'll see. And vice versa. Yeah, and vice versa. And then, uh, like, there's a healthcare deal and also uh, a pipeline and then a gas plant that the liberal government here worked with the Trudeau government on. So unless we get, like, uh, unless by some miracle we get an NDP government, um, I see our government staying relatively close to each other. Uh, I wonder what they think of uh, Trudeau in Alberta. I don't, I don't, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of, like, I've seen a lot of memes about, like, oh, Trudeau doesn't care about out-of-work Albertans, but he cares about Syrian refugees and stuff like that. But I don't know if that reflects the bulk of the population in Alberta, if that's just a small segment of the population. Yeah, yeah, it's the same here. I mean, there's people that that are pissed, uh, almost, uh, like, uh, environmentalists and, like, and it is people just, like, there's plenty of people that are pissed at, uh, the Trudeau government and our Liberal government about the natural resource projects, the fossil fuel project. But yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see, I guess, come election time if that's indicative of the population or if that's uh, a minority. So I feel like, um, like the Trudeau government probably will would work well with the NDP government in Alberta on that level they can, as an intergovernmental relationship. Uh, mm-hmm. But like the, the people is a, is a different story, right? We have uh, actually, as a side note, we have a potential of if, if like I said, it, it would still be close to miracle, I think, from the last polls uh, I've heard. Uh, but if we did get an NDP government here, there's potential that we would have. An NDP, NDP government in British Columbia that's not exactly friendly to an NDP government in Alberta in our neighboring province, which should be pretty interesting. Oh, yeah? Yeah, well, uh, the NDP here is, I think, pretty well opposed to all the natural resource projects, so they're campaigning against uh, against the pipelines that Rachel Notley was campaigning for, so that that could be a pretty big sticking point between those two. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So, I guess. I guess. To answer my own question that I had about it, it seems like you would need some political capital to make policy, unless just like a authoritarian or something. Well, yeah. I mean, ideally, uh, you want the support of the House, you want the support of your constituents, you want the support of other parties. But that that depends on how you're running your government. And of course, like you said, if you have an authoritarian, authoritarian government, they're not going to really care what everybody else has to say is just gonna do what they wanna do. So Okay, so there's one last thing that I want to talk about and then I guess in the tradition of ending with recent events. Yeah. Last week 
um, the budget that we had talked about, or this week, sorry, the budget that we had talked about last week came out, mm-hmm. and uh, here in BC, I remember it was a pre a pre election budget. Um, there's an election at the beginning of May, so really, it's not, it's less than half a year that Liberals could could be in power if they don't get reelected. Um, and uh, the big announcement was that they cut MSP premiums. So if you aren't in BC, MSP premiums are we what we pay for healthcare. So where you would just get a health card and it's all paid through through your taxes, we have a tiered system where you can get better coverage. First of all, you have to pay into it either way. You have to have the MSP card, uh, but you can pay more to get better coverage. And there's also some checks and balances to give people rebates when uh, if they can't afford it or like based on tax brackets. But so anyway, so they announced that they would be cutting MSP premiums in half for most people in BC, which is uh, it was expected that they were going to say they were going to have something. Banks like me would see it as like a bribe to to uh, get votes or gain political capital, um, and I'm not like. And the reason I say that is because um, we've been running surpluses in BC, I think, for three or four years, <laughs> and they've never cut anything. In fact, MSP premiums went up during this government, so it seems kind of fishy to me. Um, that that they come out now in an election year. Do you think uh, this kind of stuff actually does good, or like by does good, we'll, we'll get some votes in May, or do you think like this is just kind of like a stunt that that people will see through? Well. There might be budgetary reasons why they did that. Like that actually makes sense in terms of managing the budget, like in in terms of physicality. So maybe they needed that 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 um, that additional influx of of funds that from raising those premiums for that however many years um, for a certain project or. Or something like that. Um, like we don't know what that money was allocated to. Um, we could find out, I'm sure, um, with research and the access to access to information. But um, so it, it really depends. Like I don't necessarily think that it's a political stunt. I don't think that it hurts that they did that though. Um, but like I say, it could it could really just be. A, Something that they did for fiscal and, and uh, money management reasons, um, in terms of getting a certain project finished before their term is over, so creating that influx of additional income from raised premiums. Okay, um, part part of that announcement was that they were planning on. Um, like removing MSP premiums and moving to what every other province has, where it's just paid by the tax base, <laughs> and everyone gets equal treatment. 
Okay. Um, but that is also part of the NDP platform. <coughs> so they're saying that the NDP might have to uh, go even farther or something to try and differentiate themselves from the Liberals. <coughs> I also... You, you, uh, sorry, what, was that? what were you saying? Um, I was just going to say, like, it sounds from our last few episodes that BC does certain things quite differently from the rest of Canada. <laughs> yeah, there's a few things, yeah, there's a, uh, there's a few things that I've noticed being here, for sure. Um, I've heard, I read uh, Alberta has one thing that's different from the other major provinces, that is just a random fact that they don't have a, they don't have a limit on how much people can rent or increase rent, how much your landlord can increase rent. They just have a, uh, the only limitation is that they can only increase it once a year. <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting the way different provinces work. Like this MSP thing, when I first started working for, for Pixel Union, I was in, in Ontario working remotely and they offered, they asked me for my my whatever MSP number because they were going to pay it, and I, I had to do some research and figure out what was going on. But it turns out in Ontario, it was paid by OHIP. So, yeah, it's kind of different. Um, but yeah, there's, you're not so, there's not so many differences, no. but the little differences are... You were um, saying that yeah. the NDP is proposing a similar plan? Yeah, well, uh, the NDP, uh, from what I've heard, has been talking about scrapping MS the MSP program. At, well, not scrapping it, but integrating it into like a, an OHIP type system. <laughs> um, I think they've been talking about it for years. Oh, okay. They probably brought it up when, uh, when the Liberals raised MSP. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know. It seems like a weird one. Like, you know, if we have universal health care, it should all be rolled into your taxes, in my opinion. But yeah. Anyway, I don't think that's going to be, uh, that's not going to be what gets NEP elected. Not anymore, anyway. So he's part of the liberal plan, Matthew. Um, so there's another election going on, Ontario, this year. And you mentioned that uh, this year, after like crazy high fuel prices, I remember them in Ontario. Uh, high fuel prices are going down too on an election year. Apparently, I don't know. Like I said last week, I'm not sure. I haven't seen anything concrete. Um, it might just be speculation at this point. So I'm gonna hold off on. I'm saying too too much about that because I'm not sure it's actually going to happen yet. Fair enough. Maybe they'll do something. Does another part of the budget which didn't get as much attention because we pay more for healthcare than hydro, but they are talking about taking the PST off of our hydro bills. Huh. <laughs> well, you guys are not on HST yet. Uh, you know what? I'm not really sure. <laughs> Maybe it's the PSC portion of the HSC, I'm not sure. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. 
there was all kinds of speculation before the announcement that that they would they would uh, bring down. Yeah, it must be it must be still separate because there was some kind of speculation that they would bring down the PSC in general. Like when they said that they were going to do something that helps their uh, helps citizens' pocketbooks, but yeah, turned out to be the MST thing, which is only relevant in BC within Canada because yeah, like I said, you guys already have that figured out in Ontario. I I think that's good, and we're actually all at shorter this week. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, well sounds good. Well thanks everybody for tuning in. You can find us on Facebook, uh, SoundCloud and iTunes. Um, yeah, and at supercourtsybros.com or SoundCloud Games There we go. Hope you Hope you feel better. Thanks. Take care. <laughs>